It caught me off guard and I had to go ask what it meant. You see, I grew up in a border town in Texas and Mexico as a missionary's pastor's kid. And you see, I got to experience a lot of beautiful things. Growing up in two different worlds, two different cultures, I got to learn three different languages. We got Spanish, we got English, we got Spanglish, right? <laughs> and if, maybe add a fourth one, text Max. You see, I'm a complete mess. I'm still learning how to speak. So why don't you guys give me a break? Even as I was reading and getting ready for the message in chapter four, there was a word I've never seen in my life, vehement. I've never used that word in my life. So Take it easy on me. Growing up, I, I spoke primarily Spanish. And the only opportunity that I had to practice my English was when mission trips would come from the States into Mexico, maybe five to six times a year. And that's when I got to practice my English. You see, they came to help build churches, build uh, parsonages, uh, build camps. And we would have these little events in the parks, just like you saw in the video, uh, with music, with skits, and things like that. But I remember this one missions group in particular. You see, they were coming all the way from Florida. First, I was intrigued because Florida, in my mind, was a lot of fun. But they were coming because they were building a playground. And I was stoked. It was in 1995. I remember I was only 16 years old. I was young at heart. But I was excited not just for me, but because the kids from across the street in a school from our church, they would come Monday through Friday to the open meal program. And they would receive a meal and a Bible lesson. And well, I was excited for the kids to have a playground. And the day came when they finally said, the playground is safe and it's open for you to go play. So there I was, young at heart. 16, playing with the kids, running up and down the steps and down and, 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 and under the corridor and up and down the slide. And there was no care in the world. It was so good until it caught me off guard and I had to go ask what it meant. You see, I don't know how she did it, but a girl in the missions trip was wearing this shirt. You see... In my mind, my Spanglish text message, I could not comprehend. You see, the word freak, it's like, que onda, man? What's going on? Que paso aquí? Freak is a bad word for me in my man, mind, so I thought. But then you mix it with Jesus. Man, that's an insult to Jesus. So I had to go ask what it meant. So I meet up with this girl and she starts explaining to me. And of course, I am thankful that she introduced me to DC Talk. Come on. The greatest Christian band in my era is DC Talk, still hoping for the day that they will come back together, right? It's going to be great. In heaven, maybe we'll get to hear them out. But Jesus freak, I had to know what it meant. So she went on to explain to me what it meant. And not to my surprise, but for me, it was so easy to understand what it meant. You see, She wasn't only saying it by word, but she was living it in front of me. You see, this girl had traveled thousands of miles to a foreign country to build this playground to kids that did not look like her, that did not speak her language. You see, so God loved the world, and so did she. Only a Jesus freak would be able to do this. Those were two words that described her, and it was very clear to me. I've seen on Facebook, I know you've seen it, and you've probably done it, but you, you, people post on there in one word or in one gif or one gif, however you say it, describe me. 
ready, set, go. And some of those are actually pretty funny. You know, if you sit there and watch them describing them, but interesting is that they are actually describing their personalities, not necessarily their heart. If I was to ask you, you see these two words uh, worked really good for this girl. If I were to ask you, if you ask your friend to describe your heart, what would those two words be? Today, we're going to finish our series until all have heard on missions, an emphasis on missions, looking at the life and story of Jonah. And since we're preaching a message on missions, you see, the message should be pretty simple. It should be go. Simple. We are done. But you see, as we see in the book of Jonah, it wasn't easy for him to go. And if we look at his life, it wasn't because of finances. It wasn't because of the weather. It wasn't because he had family issues. It was, it was nothing else but the issue of Jonah's heart. You see, the book of Jonah is short, to the point. It's adventurous. But if today I was to uh, run an outline for you on those four different chapters, it would go something like this through the lens of a runner, an analogy of a runner. You see, chapter one, we see Jonah is running from God. God had told him to go to Nineveh and said he goes a different way. He's saying, God, I do not want to do this. Here is my resignation letter. Instead, I prefer to go open my nonprofit organization. Somebody got it. Chapter two would be Jonah running to God. You see, finally, he's kind of getting the point. You see, I've been in this storm and thrown over the boat and this fish is eating me and I've been sitting here for days and now I'm going to run to God. I'm going to pray to God. And then chapter three would be Jonah running with God. You see, God had given him a second opportunity. He said, rise and go to Nineveh and tell them the warning that I had for them. And now we're going to focus on chapter four, where Jonah has a running with God. We see that things get a little bit tense. You see, Jonah is not on the same wavelength that God is at the moment, not understanding why he did the things in the way he did them. But before we go into chapter four, we have to understand that in chapter three, something remarkable had just happened, something that has never, ever happened even before this or after this, but even through the preaching of Noah and through the great preaching of our lovely and well-known Billy Graham, something had never happened, which is a hundred percent conversion of the city. The city of Nineveh all came and turned to God, something remarkable. You see, if that would have happened to me, I would have grabbed my new brothers in the Lord and come and help me build the largest fire and start sending smoke signals to Jerusalem and letting them know that revival had broken in Nineveh. You would have thought that Jonah would have responded, reacted this way, but no, his response is completely different. And that is what we're going to be looking at today. So if you brought your Bibles, why don't you open them up with me? Uh, Jonah chapter four, we're going to read all 11 verses. And uh, this is 
in totality the ending of the book of Jonah. So read with me, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was that not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the street. There he made himself a shelter and sat under in the shade till he might see what would happen or become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose, then that God prepared a, there's a word, a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and he said, it is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, you have had pity on this plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern from their right hand to their left hand and their livestock? Question mark. That is it. Believe it or not, this is the ending of the book of Jonah. And here we see that obviously Jonah is not on the same wavelengths as God's. And Jonah has this running with God. And we start to thinking and saying, it's like, man, Jonah, what are you thinking? And I would believe that, that you would agree with me that this is an issue. This is a matter of the heart, you see, Jonah is acting so prideful and so selfish. I mean, the things aren't going as way, the way that he expected. And even if the things are going the way he thought, you see, you're going to save these people. But God, why are you saving these people, these, these killers, these criminals, these murderers? And, and we see this, and we see that it's clear that it's a complete contrast to God's heart. Didn't God create man to his own image, to the image of God? He created them, both male and female, he created them. But what is happening here, there's a complete contrast, a disconnect between Jonah and God. You see, Jonah's job description was simple, and it is this. A prophet's job description is to hear from God, to do what he says, and to follow through. It was that simple. But Jonah, instead, here it's obvious that he has the wrong attitude and potentially just the wrong perspective. Oh, Jonah, what in the world are you thinking? 
You see, if we believe that this is the word of God inspired by God and it is profitable for us, for doctrine, for correction, for reproof and instruction in righteousness, then we might ask ourselves, God, what do you have to tell us? Today, you see, the book ended up in a big question mark, and I certainly believe that that is very intentional. When that happens in movies, when we're left with cliffhangers, we, we think okay, there's going to be a great sequel coming, but in this case, there's a question mark. We don't know the answer to, to, to the Lord's question that he made to Jonah. You see, I think that this is so intentional for us because God is asking that same question to us. He's asking us, do we value the things that God values? Do we have compassion towards those things that I have compassion, the Lord says. And the Lord is asking you and I, do you have my heart? In order for us to know this, uh, we have to acknowledge that God is the maker and creator of all the universe, and he is the only one that is able and has the right to keep our heart in check. God weighs the heart. You see, God knew Jonah. God knows us. Uh, for the lack of a better word, I mean, God is a great psychologist. He doesn't have to read all the modern books to figure us out, but he knows our every high. He knows our every low. He knows our every motive. He knows our every thought. And that's why he needs to keep our heart in check and weighs our heart. Even one of the major prophets in the book of Jeremiah says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You see, we need this spiritual MRI that comes from the Lord. Uh, just one degree in the wrong direction, church, will lead us to destruction. Our heart is deceitful. And this is something that you wish you knew before you got married. Maybe it's like, yeah, emotions and feelings like, oh, yeah, and my husband for sure. Like the heart is not always in the right place. It is a deceitful place And that's why God is the one who checks our hearts. And God is about to do this to Jonah. In verse four, he comes and asks him this question. Is it right for you to be angry? You see, it's kind of like walking into the doctor's office and sitting on the couch and the doctor asking you, how does that make you feel? You know, hoping that you would process through your own thought process and wording and you could figure out a solution for your own problem or figure out the root of the problem. God is asking him, is it right for you to be angry? You see, he's hoping that, 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 that Jonah would say, like, you know what, God, you are right. You know, you are God, the creator of the universe. You created me. And you, the only task and mission is for, for to seek and save the lost. And you know what, God, you were right in saving the Ninevites. But instead, Jonah runs out in a huff now. It says immediately, so Jonah went out of the city. A little bit childish when we speak to our kids and then they get up and go because they don't like what they're hearing or the questions we're making them. You see, Jonah is out of fellowship with God at this place. If you could picture Jonah, you see he's in Nineveh in a city that he didn't want to be there to begin with. And his hometown is hundreds of miles away. He doesn't know anybody. He did not embrace the new brotherhood. Instead, he is sitting there lonely all by himself. And God is gonna bring a heart check because Noah keeps saying, Lord, I just, those rascals. I don't trust them. 
They're saying that they came to you, that they understand repentance, and I think they're just doing it for the motion. Why did you do that? Such a contrast to God's heart. In Proverbs 21.2, it says this, every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. How many times have we thought that we are right? And then the light bulb turns on, the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and we realize that we simply had it all wrong. You see, I picture Noah, when he left the city, he kind of got up and went up on this seal on the 50-yard line, kind of like waiting to see the fire from heaven fall down and bring the wrath on the Ninevites, because obviously they did not really come to the Lord. And that is where he's at. He's just waiting for the wrath to come to them. And you see, for us, Nowadays, what we do, you see somebody, maybe a Hollywood artist or even a politician or somebody says a little bit something about the Lord is my shepherd. It's like, well, this morning I prayed. And the first thing that we think is like, yeah, right. You are ruining our reputation. It's like, you know what? Christ doesn't need to fight for his reputation. He is Lord. He is King. But then it's our attitude where we see that happening. Instead, we should be that church that prays, oh God, surround them with men, of women, of prayer, and of power. And we believe that God, you're going to bring change into their hearts. You see, we do that ourselves, just like Jonah. Jonah believes that they're going to fall back in their sins. He is out there waiting. Yet, God's heart is patient. You see, not only patient, definitely not patient at the moment to the Ninevites, but he was having to be patient with his own prophet. You see, Jonah was sitting there on the 50-yard line with a, he didn't have popcorn then, but Imagine him eating popcorn, like just watching the movie when he doesn't realize that the movie is actually about him. Have you guys seen the Truman Show? You know what I'm talking about? The movie is actually about him. This, this prophet is totally backsliding and going against what God has in store for them. You see, God then does something. He prepared him this plant. And of course, Jonah is excited. He's happy. But you see, God prepared and made this plant for him. He's excited and happy that he has a plant, but he's not excited and happy that revival came into Nineveh. What a contrast that this plant was, was, was made by God. And it was as miraculous as the fish that God had prepared before. You see, God is preparing these things for him. And I believe that Jonah got so attached to the plant again. Again, he's alone. There's no living things around here. He's not going to go to Nineveh, but instead he's sitting there all by himself. And I picture him grabbing a bucket, going down to the Tigris River, grabbing some water and putting it in the roots. And I imagine him talking to the plant, kind of like Castaway. You know, Tom Hanks talking to the Wilson ball. That's the only living thing that he has around him. But I, I love the fact that God is preparing and, and appointing these things for him to experience. He had the well, he has the plantain, and we see in scripture that then came the worm and ate the tree. The worm was there and it brought it down. And again, he wishes that he was dead. But the cool thing is that God continues with his object lessons, hoping that Jonah's heart would come back to God. The worm comes and then comes 
comes what? The vehement wind. The sun hits his head. You see, I picture a moment where God is like, Jonah, I am here. Please understand what I am doing. I picture the story lesson. You see, when you went to Sunday school, you had this felt board in the damp basement. And uh, you're sitting there and the teachers, you're like, well, this is Jonah. Jonah, they went to, uh, they, on a boat, on the boat, he went the wrong way. There was a fish, the fish ate him. And then he came out and then there was Nineveh. He went to preach and then from Nineveh, he went the plant and then the worm and then the sun. You see all these object lessons that the Lord is putting in front of him to see. And you would imagine and you would think, like, gosh, Jonah, what are you doing? But may I say to you and I today, what are the plants? What are the gourds that we have put around us that when those things are shifting, when those things are shaking, it, we, we, we immediately blame our God who, who gave us the blessing to begin with. We become frustrated and, and we have this run-in with God. It is a moment that happens to us if our heart is not in the right place, especially the season, church. It is such a hard season, and I confess to you, it's, it's hard one day to the next. I don't know uh, how, how to manage my family, whether or not I could go to this place or not go to this place, whether they, my kids could socialize, whether or not. It's just so many things nowadays, but what if God is using this 2020 coronavirus, and, and maybe, and I, and I say this carefully and, and in a very sensitive way because I know it is hard, but maybe some of you guys have lost your jobs. Maybe you lost a loved one. But what if God is allowing this to use it as an object lesson for us and for our hearts to come back to God? And he tells us day and time and every second, just simply being near me, that is all that you need. And things are going to be okay. The world is going to still spin no matter who wins politically, no matter if you have a job. I am the Lord, your creator, and I love you so much. And I am here with you and I love you. What if God was using all this as an object lesson to bring us back to him. God's heart is patient. God's heart is also love. We just had Thanksgiving. I love turkey. I love cranberry sauce. I love the stuffing. I love the desserts. But my question is, do I really love turkey? I think we use that word pretty lightly when we say that we love something. You see, God's heart is love. You see, it, love is not just a characteristic of, of who God is, but God is love. He is the source of all of our love. And if we come to understand and if we approach God's heart, we would understand and know what True love is, you see, anything that's into motion, the mission of God for us to go and make disciples, it's because God so loved the world. It comes out of love. 
You see, it wasn't because Jonah loved the Ninevites. He, God didn't tell Jonah, you know what, Jonah, the way that you wear your tunic and how you dress, it kind of reminds me of the people in Nineveh. You see, I, I truly believe that you already love them. So why don't you go to Nineveh? You see, God is not necessarily asking us that we have to love them or look like them, but the simple command, it's because he so loved the world, then he sent, and then the mission is for us to then go. You see, that is a big difference. Are we close to God's heart or are we waiting for all these things to line up that are, brings this comfort to this security to me and my family and then go? The mission, the command is go. You see, we have to understand that God so loved the world. God so loved the Russians. God so loved the Chinese. God so loved the Iranians. God so loved the Iraqis. God so loved the Arabs. God so loved the world. You see, we have to ask ourselves and understand that a human soul, it's what's either going to go to heaven or it's either going to go to hell. And that is what matters the most to our God. Amen. Is your plant, your own little plant and shelter more important than the souls around you? Where is your heart Matthew 5, 8 says this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I want to see God. I want to have a pure heart. And it is scary for me to even think and process a day and, and better yet eternity without him. It is a scary feeling to me. You see, when I was in college, God had opened up these amazing doors for me to college straight from Mexico, riding literally up with a missions group that was offering me an opportunity to go to college. So I went. The God opened up the doors to be there. Another contrast. But I was there, and second to the last semester, I decided to quit Bible college. What had happened by then, somebody had offered me, and I had been working this job that paid me $80,000 a year. Think of it, college students at age of 20, $80,000 a year. I had my Mustang. I had my friends. I had the things that I had to do. I had the country. I had the world to explore. You see, what a contrast. If I would look back and, and from where God had brought me, it wasn't what God had intended for me. And I didn't know until my dad came and told me my, one day. He said, Mario, you are doing this, A, B, C, D, E. And the list goes on. You are doing this, and I do not know who you are anymore. He said, my son, if you continue doing this, I'm afraid that I just, I can't call you my son. And you would think that, that a father, like what kind of father would actually say this to their children? You see, a father that spoke truth to me is the one that spoke that to me. I was broken. 
And I had to recognize that at this moment, I needed a heart check and needed to set my priorities straight. And what I love about my father and my story is that my father was patient to me. And he did so by coming back and asking me, son, what are you going to do? You're going to turn back to God. He gave me that opportunity to turn back to God align my heart with God's heart. It is, it is my honor. And, and what an amazing story that I can celebrate with you that I stand in front of you because somebody spoke true and allowed for my heart to be aligned to God's heart. But I tell you, church, it is not easy. The heart is deceitful, but God is near us. And I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're struggling right now with I don't even know if God is near me, if he exists. I mean, this is a difficult one, Mario. You don't understand my circumstance, my situation, but reality is, church, we're not a church. We want to be a hospital for those who are broken, for those who are lost, for those who are bleeding. In this place, we make a commitment to come alongside with you to restore your heart, that your heart may be aligned, that you might be equipped that you may once again go back to that calling that God has for your life to go. We as a church commit to do this with you, to restore your heart and align it to God's heart. We are in this together. You see, uh, those words, two words represented that girl really well. It was obvious what, he li what she lived for. But if today you were to ask yourselves and honest to you and your heart, what would be the two words that you would write on this t-shirt? I'm asking you to be honest, not to put on a Facebook show. Be honest, where is my heart? Maybe it's really broken. Maybe it's shame, shame. Can't go, never me. Those might be your words. Those might be right in your eyes, but in God's heart, he says, my beloved, child of God, got this. The Lord says, with you. The Lord says, let's go. You see, it might not be tomorrow, not be like, buy an airplane ticket and go tomorrow. You see, if you're broken and if you're hurting, we don't want you to take the hurt over there, but want you to heal. And maybe it is two, three years down the line where you will go and plant a church in Iran, plant a church in Turkey. We are in this together. Today, I want to make a, a little bit of a difference of a call for you. Following along with the two words, I want you If there's a card in front of you, those cards that we use, the be sent cards and the pen, I want you to spend a minute, a moment with the Lord that he may have a, a, a heart check with you today. And I'm going to give you four options, but maybe there's more. Maybe God is speaking to you a different word today, but maybe it is that heart check. Maybe you are broken. Maybe you do need healing. And God, come and reveal to me those areas in my heart that I need to surrender, the things that I need to lay down. So write heart check on the card. Second, maybe it's the next step. Like you knew, you know that you got to do something. 
You know that you are in the place that you are. You do have these things around you that you've been wasting and investing time and energy on others. But now it's time to go the next step for me to move and be part of the mission of God. That would be a next step. And maybe that next step is GSM. The third option is send me. A command for all his people. Send me. And today it is the message of missions to go. And I pray that today that maybe you're simply seeking that accountability, that network. And I want you to know and believe that we are here with you and you're ready to go. I want you to write that word. Send me. And then the fourth one, it's simply Jesus Christ. You see, maybe you've been centered in the things of this world and you've maybe had a, a small understanding of who God is, but ultimately for God so loved the world and the mission was to seek and to save the lost and what you need today, it is Jesus in your heart. I want you to just spend a minute. This is just something to get you started. And if there's not a card in front of you, I encourage you to take out your phone and, and just something uh, for, to initiate this communication with you. You could text MISSIONS to 21000. MISSIONS to 21000. But I would love to just see those cards and hear what God is speaking to you. Why don't you spend the next minute filling those out? Word of God says in Psalms 139, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. Thank you for spending that moment with the Lord. And we're excited to hear what God has spoken to you and to partner with you in what he's doing. Now, we're going to sing a song together. And during that time, if you did fill out the card, we just encourage you uh, to bring the card to the altar is just such a great symbol and, and telling the Lord, you know what, Lord, I give up of everything else while I lay me down. God, do your will in my life. So let's stand up together. And those who have the cards, feel free to come up here and lay it on, on stage. Let's sing together. <laughs> 